Hey listeners, did you know that Yogi Triathlete offers endurance coaching for body and mind? We offer personalized training plans for endurance sports, wellness and mindset, nutrition and recovery guidance, and race preparation and strategy, all within the supportive community of Team Yogi Triathlete. So if you're ready to conquer your fitness goals and push your limits, our endurance coaches are ready to guide you on the journey to peak performance. Go to yogitriathlete.com today to set up your free 30-minute discovery call and embrace a future of strength, stamina, and achievement. Your goals, our experience, the perfect match for unstoppable success. There's like this little hourglass piece on the trail that kind of loops up and around. The trail kind of comes within like maybe 20, 30 feet of each other, but you have to do this like little hourglass piece, which is maybe 100 meters. Guess who comes around the corner? Jeff. <laughs> he comes around the corner. Our eyes make contact. <gasps> he looks at me. I look at him. And he's like, Jesse? And I look at him. I'm like, yep. And I just bolted. I started going as hard as I could go. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, your hosts, and today we are excited to welcome ultra runner and recent Moab 240 victor, Jesse Haynes, to the show. Jesse has been in the ultra game for over a decade now, but has been a runner even longer. With too many races under his belt to count, Jesse has taken some epic wins, a few DNFs, and many top 10s and podium spots. Still, perhaps something even more important is that at 50 years old, Jesse appears to have found a longevity recipe in the sport of running that keeps him going and at the top of his game. Not only does running run through his bones, but it also runs through his household in partnership with his wife, ultra runner, race director extraordinaire, and YTP guest Kira Henninger, who we had on the show in November of 2020. So I can keep going, listing off all the accolades. Trust me, there are many, but I think we'd rather just hear it from the legend himself. So let's dive into this incredible <laughs> win at Moab 240 and so much more. Uh, Jesse Haynes, welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you for having me, number one. And number two, you did some research. <laughs> that was pretty That was pretty good. <laughs> I don't even think I could have come up with all that. Well, I started to look at ultra sign up and, you know, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, well, all right. Uh, four top 10 finishes, Western state. And I'm like, you know, there's just too much here. There's too much. Like nobody, they just want to hear from you. So let's just, you know, just dive in. But, um, man, you have been, I mean, you're, I'm scrolling through ultra sign up. I'm like, Oh my gosh, his ultra history is pretty long. You've been in the game for a long time. Uh, that's, that's true. Uh, and you're right. I don't even know all the, uh, is, I, I don't know the stats on myself. I know the, I know the big points, the large points, the ones that have obviously impressed me in my own mind. But, um, yeah, there's, there's been quite a few races that I've done since, uh, I started in doing ultras in 2011. Yes, 2011, wow. Aura Flame, the Aura Flame, which is yep. here in San Diego. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> How is um? Well, talking about races, Moab 240 is is going to be a big a big focus here. We just want to I want to hear all about it. But how is how is recovery going? I know you and um, Peltier both talked about this pooling of of swelling that went down to your your feet and lower legs, like. 
first of all, is that normal? And then <laughs> how are you recovering from that? Is that still around? Um, okay. So is it normal? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Although I only have a couple people's uh, experiences to go off of and that it's myself and Jeff, but there's also Jeff Browning that raced it last year that said he had a, bl- a bunch of um, li- uh, remaining uh, pooling of, it's probably mostly uh, water weight, um, which he tried to get me to, um, he tried to, he had a little bit of a take on why, why he thinks that happens. Um, so we don't need to get into that really, but yes, I had from the knees down to my feet was pretty swollen for it's, it's slowly decreased over the course of about four days. It took for that to go from being super swollen to, I'd say double, almost not double the size, but yeah, quite, quite a bit of, of water holding into the, from the knees to the feet, uh, four days about to the point where I was able to walk around without, I guess you could say the, the limp (laughs) or the long distance, uh, showing, showing of the fact that you just raced. Uh, but I would say after about a week and a half, I was good. I was ready to start. I didn't really do any runs, but I was able to get around uh, to the point where if I needed to go for a run, I could have, um, I, cu- I couldn't tell you if, if I was able to run more than five miles because I didn't do it, do that, but I felt good. I was actually timing one of Kira's events a week after the race. And at that race, her race, um, I was timing it and I was running around back and forth to my car without any trouble. So it took about, about a week to get to that point. And recovery as of right now is, is fantastic. I haven't run super long. Uh, and by long, I mean over five, over seven miles, but I didn't have any trouble. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about doing her, her Ray Miller 50 mile, um, not next week, not next weekend, but the weekend after. Mm. How about exhaustion? You know, how about like, um, just the sleep deprivation? Did that stick around a little bit longer than the actual like physical discomfort of the recovery? That was about, I would say four days also. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was, uh, probably, probably because I have to wake up so early in the morning anyway, I, I think I may have not been able to recover from that fast as fast as I could have just being that uh, I'm, I'm up and I'm up at four in the morning and to work, starting work five to six, somewhere in there. Um, so I don't get a whole lot of time to, to sleep and recover. Obviously, when I came home from work, I was in bed sooner than normal, but uh, <laughs> sleep deprivation was definitely the hardest part, of, I would say, about the race. And recovering from it um, was, it took me about four days. What was really weird was the fact that I was sweating during night during the night. It was crazy. I would just wake up in the middle of the night, just not drenched, but definitely noticed that there was, that I was sweating. So my body was doing some crazy stuff. That's for sure. Yeah. It sounds like it was just like off gassing some heat, you know, like, I I, know, like after racing and stuff, the the night of a race, I've never done a multi-day race, like the 240, but you're just hot. Like there's a lot of heat in the body, you know, from going and going and going. And it's just amazing, right? Like what the body needs to do 
to sure. get itself back to balance. It's it's really a wild science experiment that we live in. If you if you pay attention to something like recovery and how it does it all on its own, you know, it's just amazing. I love the way you put that. It's it is a science project. I should be writing all this stuff down that I <laughs> that I go through and remember it because you know over the course of racing for the last what is it? Let's see, eleven. 12 12 years yeah Yeah. 12 years of racing uh i'm just going off of memory in a lot of it and i if i've been writing it down i could probably (laughs) eliminate some mistakes that that i still make during races that i that i didn't learn enough to get it to you know sink in mentally but yeah science experiment for sure I, I did watch um, Jeff's uh, recap of the race too. And I just love your perspectives are, are completely opposite. Like all the stuff that he goes into with the sleep and the, the planning and, you know, where he was going to be. And then your approach, which was, I think you slept the most was like five or 15 minutes, maybe max. Um, I remember you talking about, you know, you'd set an alarm for five minutes and you wouldn't even get that much. And, but yet you, you won and he came in second. So it, there's like this, there's an element of like planning and, and doing your due diligence, but there's also this feeling of like, you got to work your way into it. You got to feel your way. You got to, you got to make decisions in the moment. Oh, absolutely. That's the biggest lesson that I think I took away from the race is that there's so many things that could change and happen. The best planning you could possibly do is not going to get you it's not going to be it's not going to be 100% successful with the planning planning that you put in because you just have to make so many split second decisions and I, by split second i don't mean like right there you just have to you have to go off off of what you're feeling at the moment and the plans that i did have which were very loose still did not happen even <laughs> though i had just a loose plan maybe if i would have had one that was more poignant i would have stuck to it a little bit better but in the moment that's how I love to do all of my runs races is I don't really like to plan too much in advance, uh, as far as like the overall outcome or what, where I'm going to be doing what, obviously you have to have a little bit of a plan. I, I mean, I did some planning. I wrote down, I wrote down the, the, what the forecast was for, you know, what temperature it was going to be at what aid station. And I went through my, what my pace as to what I thought I could do, um, being conservative, of course, but what the temperature was going to be at that aid station, what time of day it was going to be. Um, I didn't have a crew, but I did have a pacer lined up. So I knew that I had to have some sort of plan so that I could uh, make sure that I hit, hit that spot. But mainly because it's such a drastic temperature difference at, at, in the desert, uh, I had to make sure that I had the right clothing for the appropriate time leaving an aid station. I mean, some of the aid stations are 20 miles apart. So you're not going to see anything for the next five, six hours. So you have to make sure you have everything you need. So there's, but by me saying I didn't plan, that's, that's not a true statement. It's just, I didn't have a stick to a certain, a certain like number of calories and all that. I just made sure I had what I needed. That's about it. Yeah. I think we need to honor like who we are as, as athletes is, you know, you said like, that's how I love to go into races. It's like, well, I think you should follow that. Right. They, it's like, 
you want to be the best version of you and, and figuring out what works for you and what makes your heart sing when it comes to something as epic as, you know, the Moab 240, as opposed to being like, oh, well, Jeff, who came in second place, and, and uh, I know we're going to get to that whole battle. But um, like, well, he's doing it. Maybe I should do it that way. And then we start to, you know, become the second best version of someone else. Um, so I think finding out, and, and isn't that the beauty of going long? It's like, <laughs> we really get some time to figure out like who we are and how we show up, um, oh, out there sure. on the trail. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely correct. So let's, uh, let's dive in. Let's dive into the race. We talked a little, you talked a little bit just now, a few moments ago about the planning and that you didn't have a crew. Um, and what we have found out in our research is that your typical crew, Kira, was not available for you during the Moab. <laughs> That's <Jubilee>. right. <laughs> had, had I had my typical crew, uh, I couldn't tell you what would have happened. Um, maybe that, maybe I would have, well, as we get into the race, you'll discover why it's probably at times it would have been a good thing to have crew. And at times it probably would not have been good to have a crew. Um, mm. so yes, my typical crew, uh, being my wife, uh, Kira, she was doing her own, uh, event, which was uh, Kodiak. She was attempting to do hundred mile race herself the same exact day that we started. So she started six hours before me in time. Um, and yep, unavailable. So I just decided I'm just going to go, I'm not going to try to find a crew because that could create more, uh, logistical problems for me. I just wanted to, I also wanted to see if I could just do it with no crew. That was another thing I wanted to try, try it out. Um, so yeah, no crew, uh, with, but I did, I did accept a pacer, um, and asked a pacer to, to, to get me to get through what I thought was going to be the, uh, crux of the race. Yeah. So, so take us, take us through it. I mean, it's like, you know, 70, I think your time was around 70 hours. Yeah. So take us through, take us through that 70 hours <laughs> hour in hour. much less than 70 hours. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Let me try to hit the highlights. Um, yeah. I will say that I started the race as thinking this is not a race. This is a run because that's, that was my, pretty much my only goal was to get, my A goal was to just finish it just to see if I could do I knew, I knew I could do it. I mean, but see if I could do it. It was, you know, the main, the main focus, obviously it's the longest I had ever run. So I didn't know what I was going to be coming up against. Um, so my, my plan was to just go out and, and run and I wanted to hold back in, in, in my pace. I will say that I never, ever wear a watch when I race. Um, but I was staying with Jeff Browning the day before and, even though I don't wear a watch, I love data. So I do wear a watch when I train, but I don't wear a watch when I race. And it's because I don't want to be bound to focusing on what's my heart rate? Where am I at? What's my speed? You know, am I falling behind? Am I falling? You know, should I speed up? I just want to go by feel. So what he said was, I just wear the watch just to have a timepiece on my arm. I don't even look at, look at the data. But, uh, I did wear the watch to start with because, um, I tend to go a little bit too hard just thinking that I'm, I am going easy, but I looked at my watch a couple times when we started and I was in the 140 heart rate range and I wanted to, I, I told myself I wanted to be in the one thirties for most of the race, maybe even in the one twenties. So when I saw my heart rate up at 140, I did slow down a little bit. So it, it was a different type of, uh, 
feel for me to be doing that. So I did find myself having to back off a little bit. Um, but I kind of fell into place with, uh, two, two other runners, which one was Wes Rittner who had been, had finished second the year before. So he was on my radar that, you know, we, we might be close to each other at some point and I needed to watch out for him. And I also knew the name Taylor Morris, uh, because he had raced a couple of Kira's races and I, I had remembered that he was a decent runner. So I thought that was one of the other people that I might fall in place with. And it just so happened that that's the way it worked. We pretty much ran for the first uh, 25 to 30-ish miles together um, and just chatted a little bit. Everything was going pretty smooth. The run felt like it was going pretty easy. At one point, Wes fell off the pace a little bit, and Taylor and I just kept kept the pace going. It was pretty much at an aid station, I think maybe 25, 25-ish miles in, maybe 30. Uh, and then Taylor and I just were chatting along, and all of a sudden I could notice that he was falling off. Or let's just say that I had to hold, I would have had to hold myself back more than I wanted to to stay with him. So there was this kind of back and forth dynamic where, where he would, you know, fall off a little bit and then go off in the, up, up the hills and, I was like, all right, I don't want to be get caught up in holding back my pace. I'm just going to go comfortable. And I slowly gapped him uh, to the point where it was like, you know, maybe he was 40 seconds behind me to the point where I would look back with his, with his headlamp back there and I couldn't see it anymore. So I knew I had put a pretty, pretty good amount of time in him, but I still felt like I was doing a decent job of pacing. Um, that brings us to, I'm going to just, Fast forward to, you know, we're in the nighttime and it's starting to get cold. We're at somewhere around mile 80. I could look back and not see any headlamps. So I was pretty much on my own, I would say from mile 40-ish to mile 80, um, where I started to get into the mode of, you know, I'm starting to feel tired. So it's now, you know, early morning. Um, I This is at one point where I, where I said, well, I'm, I'm tired. Let me look back to see if he's close. I saw a headlamp at one point. Maybe he was five minutes back. So I was like, all right, I got a good five minutes at least on him. I didn't know for sure if it was his headlamp or not. But I remember setting my watch, uh, or not my watch, my, my phone, for five minutes. And I found a rock that looked comfortable, <laughs> laid down. Uh, took me a couple seconds, maybe 15, 20 seconds to fall asleep. Um, and I woke up at minute four. So I only slept, I would say for like three minutes that time. So I started going again and now I could see that it was starting to get light. So we're getting into the next day. And my plan was to hit the aid station right before you start climbing up Shea mountain, leave the aid station and then sleep before I started to climb up Shea mountain. Um, and at this point I, it was now mid morning and or not mid morning, early morning. And I couldn't really find a comfortable spot. It didn't feel comfortable to fall asleep because it was daylight out. Right. And all of a sudden now I'm, it's starting to heat up and we got, it was the day, it was the day that the solar eclipse was happening. So I remember at one point the eclipse starting and I was like, why does it feel like it's like noon right now? So my mind was already starting to play tricks on me because I was because of the sleep deprivation. Um, so why is it like noon right now? I thought to myself, I was like, oh, it's because of the solar eclipse. So that kind of messed with me. 
my mind said it was like late afternoon and then the sun came back out and things started to heat up and now it's getting to the point where it's it's so warm out that uh and 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 i had started the climb and i had no idea what the course was like this climb going up to shea mountain was so steep and intense that i could not like i couldn't believe that you know i was there was a climb this steep I was like, man, I should have brought my poles. But it's on this climb that there was a number of times that I tried to lay down and go to sleep. But it was mid, mid like noon or one o'clock, something like that. And so my my mind again wouldn't allow me to sleep. Finally, I get to the top of this climb, and I know I'm at the top because I can see that the uh, race course goes down, and it's at I don't know somewhere around mile one hundred, somewhere in there. Um, and I got to the top of the climb and I was like, all right, I am sleeping at the top of this climb because, you know, I got into work mode going up that climb. I'm like, you know, pushing hard and, and my heart was racing. And so I got to the top of the climb and I'm like, perfect. I'm going to sleep here. Well, wouldn't you know it? There was a bunch of people out there. I don't know if they were rounding up their cattle or if they were hunting, but I could hear their voices off in the distance and they're like yelling and I said, this isn't going to be good. I might go fall. I might fall asleep. And then all of a sudden I'm going to hear their voice and I'm going to wake up. So like, all right, I'm not going to sleep here. So I continued on and I got up to Shea Mountain, the aid station. And that's mile 114, I think, something like that. And I got up there and I remember talking to the medic and I said, I need to take my foot, my shoe off. I said, I think I have a pretty good blister going on on the top of my toe. I want to make sure I take care of it before it becomes a problem. And so we took my shoe off. And as he's taken, as I'm taking my shoe off, I was like, man, I'm so upset. I said, feels like, you know, I'm way behind my schedule. And they, 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 they said, it's, well, what was your schedule? Because it's 2.15. And I looked up, I pulled out my piece of paper that I had everything written on. I had a little cheat sheet. Looked at my time that I was supposed to be there. And wouldn't you know it? It was 2.15 that I was supposed to be there. I hit my split at mile 114 right on the money. I could not believe it. Uh, that blew my mind. Anyway, <laughs> took my shoe off and he's like, ah, there's nothing wrong with your toe. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, it's been bothering me for like the last 40 miles. I've been thinking that this is going to end, this might end my race. And, um, he's like, no, there's nothing wrong with it. I, he's like, I can wrap it up if you want, but you know, nothing wrong. I was like, you know what? I've been trying to sleep for the last, whatever, 25 miles and I can't fall asleep or I haven't had the opportunity to sleep. So I said, I'm going to go to the tent. Can you work on my foot while I'm trying to sleep? He's like, absolutely. So he's working on my toe and my foot and I, took, I think I may have taken a 10 minute nap there. I think I told him I wanted to take 10 minutes. So he came and woke me up, um, there at, I woke up before he, before he actually came in. I said, okay, I think I'm good. And as he, as I was waking up and getting my shoes back on, I actually, this is the first spot that I changed shoes. So I changed my shoes and, uh, as I was getting my stuff on and ready to go, Taylor finally came in. The tailor had caught had caught up to me. I don't know how far back he ever was, but he he finally caught up to me. He was at the, he came into that aid station uh, before me. But one one more important, I mean, he came into that aid station before I had left. Let's put it that way. So he kind of kind of came together and we had an exchange. But uh, I have to back up before I, right before I had my foot worked on. 
I remember Candace Burt being there, the race director. And I remember telling or saying, mentioning that, you know, that I had pulmonary edema starting, which was a bunch of phlegm that was in my lungs. And I was mm. coughing, you know, coughing it up. I was already starting to cough. Um, so I was like, man, I'm having a hard time with, you know, getting oxygen in. And I was like, I hope this doesn't take me out because whatever it was two months previous at hard rock, I had, not that I want to get into my hard rock story, but, or at all, but I had a tough time. <laughs> a tough okay. Time. We'll take that one off the list. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can get into it if we have time. I doubt we'll have time. Cause I t- usually talk a lot, but I'm going to make sure we don't have time for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, I had a tough time at Hard Rock uh, with with the pulmonary edema starting. So I was like, I sure hope this doesn't happen here. Mm. I was like, I feel it starting. So I left out of that aid station, um, thinking that this might, you know, this might be this might be a concern for me. And we actually, this is a new part of the race course, leaving Shea Mountain. You used to from that spot. You used to head down to the Dry Valley Aid Station, which used to be mile 143, I think. Uh, but now, this year, we had another 4,000-foot climb, or 4,000 feet of elevation gain, not 4,000-foot climb, elevation gain of 4,000 feet, and 13 extra miles. So I started on that one, um, and I could definitely feel the pulmonary edema, you know, starting to kick my butt and it was coughing and it was not being able to get oxygen in and it was um my heart racing so it took me a long time to do that that little section to get up to the top of the climb and get back down so much so that i finally i i I know my pace my pacer was supposed to meet me at mile one 70 to take over pacing duties. Um, but I also knew before the race had started that we had talked that he might be at dry Valley aid station, which was, I still think it was mile 140 something. Somehow the race course had less miles on the front end, something like that. Uh, but he was supposed to possibly meet me at dry Valley. Well, I turned on my data on my phone because I had been saving data with airplane mode turned on my data to see if I could possibly find out uh, if he was at Dry Valley. Because if he was, I was going to have him drive to Monticello Lake, which was the next aid station in line, have him drive to Monticello Lake and pick me up. Because I was like, I can't do this. I got to the point in the race where I was, it was taking me so long and my heart was racing so much that I was like, I'm, I'm at my limit. I can't, I can't, I can't get this race done with as much problems as I'm having breathing. And I was moving so slow and, um, having such a hard time getting, getting the oxygen in that. I thought I, I thought I might be done, but I just wanted the option. <laughs> I didn't think I was done at that point. I just wanted the option of having him there just in case, because I still had at the point where I was texting him like eight miles to go. So the text came in that, um, and I'm going down this story because it's it's kind of a, a long, a, a big part of what my, my what my race was about. Um, I tried to get him to come to that aid station so that I could possibly drop, but at least make sure that he was going to be at Dry Valley because I knew that I had backed up my myself in my timing, and my timing had warm clothing. I, I had 
packed some stuff for, that he was going to be bringing. I had warm clothing at Dry Valley that I had didn't anticipate needing earlier because of my time that I was going to arrive at Dry Valley. Might be confusing, but there were there were a bunch of reasons why I wanted him at Dry Valley. Uh, but his text read, uh, data came in and he's texted me and said, all set, Jeff Browning gave me a ride to the uh, Geyser Pass aid station so that the car is there when we finish my pacing duties. And he brought me to road 46 where I'm going to start pacing you. So I'm all set. And I was like, oh no, he's now stuck at the aid station where he's set to start pacing me, which is 30 miles before Dry Valley, which is where I thought he might be able to crew me, which is where I thought I might be able to get warmer clothes. So now I know I'm stuck going all the way to road 46 without seeing anyone. So that kind of got into my head and I got to the, you know, did the descent off of the, this, this new section of race course to get to Monticello Lake, which is where I had a drop bag, but I didn't have a crew. So I got to this Monticello Lake aid station and I decided on the, while I was out there that maybe I'm having such a hard time because I haven't really stopped to have any real solid food and maybe I need, just need to rest more. So I'm going to eat a bunch of food there and I'm going to take a nap and I'm just going to try to reset because that's what I'm going to have to do. It's the only option I have. So got to the aid station, put down a burger, told them that I wanted to sleep for 20 minutes or a half hour. Um, I said, set the timer for a half hour. If I wake up, I'll wake up. So um, now it's really cold out because I'm at Monticello Lake, probably I think it was like 8 p.m., something like that, seven. No, I got in while it was still light. So it was like 7 PM. Let's put it that way. Something like that. Seven, seven thirty, And I was supposed to be there at, oh, five, I think five thirty, something like that. So I'm a couple hours behind at this point. And I got to, uh, the point where I, I, I got some blankets, started to sleep and heard that Taylor was coming in. Taylor Morris was coming in behind me. So I was like, yeah, no worries. I'm just going to sleep. Don't, don't care. Uh, came back up out of my nap. And as I was falling asleep, I had this plan. I'm going to ask Taylor's crew to go get my pacer. Okay. I'm going to ask Taylor's crew what their point, what their plan is. So that's what I did. I was like, okay, where's Taylor's crew? They're like, we're right here. I said, okay, what's the plan? What's your guy's plan? Are you guys going to dry Valley? And they're like, well, um, the guy that's pacing him currently is going to take him, take our other pacer to dry Valley. And then he's going to head back in to go, go, you know, go to sleep. So I went and got, went and talked to his pacer. I was like, Hey, when you get to dry Valley, can you make sure you don't leave before I get there? Because I said, I think I'm going to have you take me to my pacer and take us to town so I can get my car. I had a whole plan, right? I was going to have his pacer pick me, take, I was going to drop at dry Valley and get my pacer and, you know, get the whole thing taken care of. So my plan was, yeah, to drop it by dry Valley. So I I started the next section, 17 miles. I had heard Taylor left the aid station a couple minutes before me. 
They're like, all right, I'm just going to make sure that I get to Dry Valley about the same time Taylor does. I'll just, you know, stay in line. I'll be, he's right ahead of me. I'll make sure that I do what I have to do to get there before his crew leaves. So, uh, on my way down, it's mostly a descent, but guess what? There's some climbs in it and I could not run downhill. I could not run uphill or hike uphill. I mean, it was so difficult, so tough because I was coughing up all this phlegm that I had in my lungs. My lungs were just shot and I couldn't get any, I couldn't get enough oxygen to like push my, push my body. I was like, I would say my heart heart rate. Oh, let me back up. My watch died at mile 108. So I didn't have a watch any longer. I actually took the watch off. <laughs> I took the, wa- took the watch off and I took my little battery pack, my backup battery pack off. I took my watch off and dropped my little ba- backup battery in the drop bag, in my drop bag at Monticello Lake, which is the aid station that I just left from to get to Dry Valley because I knew I was going to be dropping at Dry Valley. So I didn't need any of that stuff. And it was just extra weight. <laughs> the watch was dead anyway. Um, so I, I don't know what my heart rate was, but I guarantee it was not, it was not, um, I wasn't able to push very hard. So I'm looking for Taylor's headlamp on my way down to dry Valley and I don't see his headlamp anywhere. And I see way up in the distance. I was like, I saw, I thought I saw a headlamp. It might've been a car because I got to dry Valley. I knew I was about two to three miles out and I was like, Taylor's so far up there. I said, his crew's going to leave before I get there. So I went and ran as hard as I could for like two miles to get to dry Valley. And I come up to the dry Valley aid station and I'm like, is Taylor still here? And they're like, who? I said, Taylor, the leader. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're the first person in. I was like, what? So now I'm all concerned because I'm like, what happened to Taylor? He went off course. I know he went off course because there was one point in time that I went off course for like a quarter mile. There was no ribbon take, telling us to go down this one, one road. And I just so happened to open up my, my, my app that I had, my tracking app, to look to see if I was on course. And I was like, no, you're not on course, Jesse. So I went back to the spot where it was on course, which was probably a quarter of a mile away. And I was like, the spot where you looked there was a trail marker but no no ribbon the spot that you looked that was the spot and i was thinking to myself after i got to the aid station i was like taylor went off course there and he's been off course for the last couple hours i was like oh no i was all worried is that the spot is that the spot where you saw a headlamp Mm -mm. oh okay i thought thought that's what you meant it wasn't um but it was a couple like oh miles my God. after that. So I love this plan to drop. Like you're just really <laughs> oh. trying to drop out of the race and it's not working because not now working you're, you. now you're winning. Yeah. <laughs> now, I even sat down on the ground. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I can't believe that I'm saying this. And you're probably thinking I'm insane that the leader of the race wants to drop out. I was like, but I am just having the toughest time. I can't, I can't get, I can't get any turnover, even though I just ran like two miles as hard as I could. And I was, I mean, it was probably still like 15 minute pace, but I was like, you know what? I said, it worked for me on the last one. I said, I'm going to eat something and I'm going to take another nap. So right before I took my, I, I ate a bunch of food and the aid station volunteers were amazing. They're like, what do you need? We have everything you need. They were taking such good care of me. It was like I had a crew, um, but they're like, yeah, okay, we'll set an alarm for 30 minutes. And right before I went to sleep, Taylor popped his head in the tent. It was so funny. All I saw was his head come in. 
I was like, oh, there you are. I was like, what happened to you? And he's like, nothing happened to me. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, we never really went off course. He said, maybe it's because we left that aid station and I had to go to the bathroom. So I went to the toilets. So maybe you got ahead of us at that point. That's what it was. But the whole way down <laughs> to that aid station, I was chasing a, a, a headlamp that was never there. <laughs> Nobody was ever there. Um, so that was, that was hilarious in my, in my opinion, that I was never, never, never even, never even chasing somebody. I was chasing a ghost. So did my 30 minute nap there and told myself, well, I made it here. I was like, I'll be able to make it to, to road 46 and we'll see what happens at that point. So the next two sections, and I say two sections because you leave Dry Valley and you go to a aid station called Needles, which is 13 miles away-ish, 13, 14. It's ultra running, so could be anywhere from 13 to 20. Uh, (laughs) On my way to Needles, I also, I was looking down at the road and I could see that his, I could see Taylor's footprints in the, in the, you know, what do they call, uh, his footprints in the sand. And I was trying mm-hmm. to pace myself off of his footprints to see if I was running better than him. <laughs> um, so I was hitting his footprints plus a little bit. So I was like, oh, my pace, my, 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 dist- my stride's a little bit longer than his. I wonder if the pace is longer. Uh, anyway, that's what was going through my mind as I was going along. Uh, slept one more time on the side of the road there. Didn't set an alarm this time. Just pull over, dropped myself on the ground, and went to sleep. But was awakened by my body in pain because, uh, you know, it wasn't moving and I was cold. So I don't think I slept very long. Uh, didn't set an alarm, so I don't know how long I slept there, but I know it wasn't very long. Um, but I did learn something on this section from Dry Valley to Needles. I learned that I was kept seeing headlamps, or not headlamps, but car lights. And I was like, oh, that's got to be the aid station up there. That's car lights way off in the distance. Well, I would get up there and it's like, no, it's the highway that you're seeing. There's cars going all the time. <laughs> so then I kept opening up the app to see, well, give me a landmark. What's the next thing I'm going to see? And I saw a road, a cro- road crossing. I was like, okay, I got to that road crossing. Oh, it looks like maybe three more miles. But I couldn't tell how much further it was because I didn't have a, a, a tracking app. It was just, you know, Gaia. And it was, I didn't have a watch. So I didn't know how far along I was. So I remember getting so upset that I, that I was like, where is this aid station? I was like, I could see that I passed this road. That aid station couldn't be more than two more miles. And I'm, I've, ru- I've run another 15 minutes or 20 minutes, and I haven't seen any change. And I got so upset. And I was like, wait a minute. I said to myself, what is going on right now in your head? I was like, why? I just, let's just put it in perspective. I just left that aid station like an hour or two ago. And what, you want the next aid station to come just like that in like five minutes? You don't want to really run that far to have to get to the next aid station? So I was thinking to myself, you know what? It's like I want instant gratification right now. I just left the other aid station. and I want to get to the other next aid station like right now. It doesn't work that way, Jesse. Instead of this instant gratification that you want, how about, uh, what was the word that I was thinking of? Not uh, delayed. Yes. You, what you really want is delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was like a turning point in the race for me. Like, don't, don't just assume that the aid station is going to be right there. It's going to get to you when it gets to you and you don't have to be fine with that. 
So I finally mm-hmm. got to the next aid station. I asked them how far out Taylor was because now I have something to focus on. I got Taylor in front of me and um, they're like, oh, the first place is over there. He's still sleeping. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> I was like, I got here and he's sleeping. Um, cool. Perfect. So um, I got some of my stuff together and my phone, my battery on my phone was getting low. But guess what? I dropped my bat- backup battery pack two aid stations ago. So I have no power. So I asked them if they had a, you know, auxiliary power source that I could use to plug my phone in. And they're like, yeah. So I ended up having to stay at that aid station long enough to get enough battery into my phone so I could leave the aid station because at this point, and I'm not, I'm not dogging or bashing destination trails at all about course marking, but I will tell you without having Gaia on my phone and, having the course map on my phone, I would have been lost so many times on that course. You know, flags get taken down for whatever reason. Markings get taken down. It could be an animal that took it down. It could be course uh, vandalism. It could be wind that took it down. It could be maybe they didn't think they needed to mark that spot. But for whatever reason, there was a bunch of times on the course where I had to question whether or not I was on course. And without that app, I would have never had it. So in my mind, I need to get my phone charged enough because I have no idea exactly if I'm going to be on course the entire time. So I need it for the next section. So I, as I'm waiting for the battery to get charged, in comes third place. And I keep in mind, I hadn't seen anybody for the majority of the race other than when I left Taylor at mile 30, 40, whatever it was, until I saw him every once in a while you know, over the course of the next sections, but we never really ran together. We were always like meeting each other at the aid station. So we had a common, you know, pace common, you know, we're in the same general area, but I had never seen really seen third place, uh, for most of the race. What mile are we at at this point? We're at mile 140, 160. 160. Oh my God. Mile 160, something like that. You still have like 80. miles to go, which is a long run on any good day. Yeah. Oh, um, during this, this, that last section from dry Valley to needles, my Achilles tendon started to really hurt. I left Achilles tendon and it was, it was affecting my pace for sure. Like I wasn't, you know, it would hurt so much that I wasn't able to run with a good stride and ended up hiking quite a bit just because it's like hurting so much to, to land on it. Um, so I forgot to mention that little piece, but so third place comes in and he's all fired up. He's like, where's, where's first and second. And I just look at him. I'm like, well, you're looking at second. (laughs) And he's like, Oh, and I heard him talking to the aid station, uh, volunteers. And he's like, yeah, he's like the top 10. His name's Aaron. I can't remember his last name at this point but his name's Aaron. And I do remember at almost every aid station that I came in, that there was crew accessible. The, there was a, his crew was always there and they always said, Oh, Aaron's about to come in. So it's not like he was never in the mix up to that point. It's just, I hadn't really seen him. So they're always saying this Aaron's coming in. I was like, in my mind, I was thinking is Aaron Taylor, you know, is, (laughs) do they call him by a nickname? Because I never saw an Aaron. (laughs) So Taylor must be Aaron, but it's just Taylor's his nickname or he goes by Aaron as a nickname. So I always thought this Aaron guy was actually Taylor, but 
Taylor comes into the aid station all fired up that he's going to, uh, what he said was the top 10 runners never take a, never sleep. They just keep going, try to go on a, as little as possible. He's <laughs> like, but I took a bunch of naps, you know, up to an hour nap. And he's like, now I'm, now I'm, now I'm out hunting. And I was like, oh, he's out hunting, is he? Okay. <laughs> so now I have something to focus on. I got somebody trying to chase me down. I was like, let's see if this works. <laughs> so I left the aid station all fired up, and I ended up catching Taylor. Taylor left the aid station probably two minutes ahead of me with his pacer. Um, so I, I could see them up, up the road a ways, and I, I, I just put in a couple good, good turns, a couple good strides. I just had a good pace going on, and I finally caught up to Taylor, and uh, he, I caught up to him faster than I should have because he ended up walking. And he's like, I catch up to him, and he's like, hey, 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 brother. He's like, how about, uh, you know, we make this pack? He's like, let's just like, he's like, this is the section last year that really got my Achilles tendon. It made me had to drop, made me have to drop out of the race. He's like, you know, what, what do you say? We just, you know, work together and, you know, just, you know, make this, make this race a, a fun run. And I was like, well, I'm all cool with that and stuff. But, you know, I said, um, in, in all reality, this, r- this race is not a race for me. It is a run. And to be honest with you, you're so much faster at the aid stations that you're going to catch me anyway. And my Achilles tendon has been hurting for the last 15 miles I said, and my knee hurts, and my adductors hurt, and my quads hurt, and my hip flexors hurt. I said, so I'm just going to keep keep this pace going because I just want to get to the next aid station <laughs> in a in a good you know in a good flow. And and uh, so I just took off ahead of him, told him the story about Aaron, and then you picked up your pacer at the next aid station. My pacer was at the next aid station, so I kind of wanted to get to that next aid yeah. station without like goofing off too much. And I did have yeah. to tell him the story about Aaron coming, that Aaron's out hunting. So <laughs> I said, I'm just going to keep this movement going. And a uh, funny story, as it happens, I uh, ended up having to like uh, stop for a minute to go to the bathroom. And my knee, my right knee was actually starting to hurt. I had pain underneath the knee. And it's because Oof. I was compensating for the left foot, I think. Mm. But um, uh, we only got 15 minutes left. I better, I better, I better, <laughs> I better get this story going. Anyway, it's right. it's there. like an audio. This this conversation is like an audio book. It's going to be uh, so cool. good. Anyway, I I si- I'm sitting there on the road, right in front of him, like rotating my knee back and forth, like doing it in circles. And he comes up to me and he's like, "You know what? I thought about it." He's like, "How I I was hurting." you know, starting to hurt and you start telling me how your knee hurts and your back hurt or your quads hurt and your adductors hurt. And all I have is this, this, uh, Achilles tendon that's starting to hurt. So I'm just going to run with you, which worked out perfect because guess what? My phone was at like zero, like no battery power. I had, I didn't, if I came to a spot in the road that didn't have a marking, I wouldn't know which way to go. So I needed to use him to get to the next aid station pretty much. So we arrived at the next aid station all together. It was great. Uh, we had another, whatever, two hours of getting to talk to each other. Got to the next aid station. My, my pacer was there, all excited to get going. And I was like, now, at this point, I had coughed up all the phlegm. My lungs were kind of fine. Like, mm. not great, but still, like, not... It wasn't to the oh. point where I wasn't able to, to go. So I pick up... I'm, I'm going to try to make this part quick. Um, 
I had mentioned out loud, I said, my, my Achilles tendon is killing me to the point where I was like, I need, I need to know if somebody here could, is there a medic that could tape me up with K tape? Cause I had some in my pack. It just so happened that there was a guy there who said, my girlfriend's a PT. I know how to tape. He, so he taped me up. I said, okay, perfect. I'm all taped up. I said, I want to take another nap. I want to sleep here for 40 minutes and maybe I'll get in a good 35. So my pacer had me all set up. He put me in the, in a camper and, um, I was able to go to sleep for 30, 40 minutes, something like that. And you know, when we started going again, Aaron made it into the aid station and actually left the aid station before us. Taylor was already out of the aid station, like 15 minutes before us. Uh, so Aaron and I left the aid station together. So we got to share, finally share some miles together. Him, my pacer and myself took off out of there. And I told my pacer, I was like, it feel, it feels like a new day. I said, I don't I'm not feeling hardly any pain in my foot, my, my Achilles. I was like, it feels like we're going at a good clip. And all of a sudden, like that 40 minute nap made it seem like, and it was a new day pretty much because <laughs> it's day number two now <laughs> and it's mid morning, mid, like almost noon. And we're going along. We finally ended up catching Taylor at the next aid station and his pacer were in the aid station, you know, getting some food. We ate some food. We had another good conversation. We took off out of there like a couple minutes after, um, after Taylor, Aaron had made it into the aid station uh, right, right about when we were ready to leave. So now it's a three, you know, group of three pretty much together at mile one, let's see, 180, 190, something like that. Um, to go up to Geyser Pass, which is where my pacer, Kevin was going to leave me, you know, his car was up there waiting for him. Mm. So this, these next sections were so tough for me because the, the phlegm started to come up because now we're climbing again. And I, and I was getting to the point where I was, you know, starting to get slow again. And it was the last, I would say three, four miles of, of the section where Kevin and I were going to part ways, um, that I was slowing down quite a bit. Like, obviously it was the elevation that was getting to me. Uh, but I hadn't at this point, I was like, I'm not dropping. I wasn't planning on dropping. And I come up and we get into the aid station and guess who's there? My buddy, Jeff Browning first person I see. And he's like, Hey, how you doing? I was like, Oh, great. Good. Good to see you. I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm here to help you. I, I got some coffee and I got, he had a chair and he's like, do you need to sleep? I was like, yeah, I think I want, I think I need to sleep for another 15 minutes, but I need a burger. Cause this was working a burger and a nap was almost working at every aid station. <laughs> so he gets me, gets me all set up in this zero gravity chair, kicks me back. His, him and his wife were there. They gave me some coffee I get back up or right before I went to sleep, he's like, Hey, he's like, they're second place. Jeff just got in. I was like, second place, Jeff. I was like, what are you talking about? Taylor's second. He's like, no, this, this Jeff guy, he's moving on up. He's like, he came out of nowhere and he just got into the aid station. But you know what? He's like, I overheard him talking. He's going to sleep for like 40 minutes here. I was like, Oh, I was like, well, I wanted, I wanted to take a nap. So I'm, I'm definitely sleeping. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, go ahead and sleep. But yeah, if you want to do 15, 20, I'll wake you up. So I woke up and Jeff, Jeff was great. He's like, do you need anything else? And I said, yeah, another hot chocolate. Get me, get me warm. Cause it was freezing out there. <sighs> um, and he's like, all right, here's what's going to happen is you're going to go up the next, the next section is, um, you're going to go 
and you're going to climb, climb, climb on this road. You're going to hit this single track. You're going to go down this single track. You're going to hit to this lake. It's going to be another blacktop road. You're going to take that blacktop road for like a quarter mile, and then you're going to get onto this other sing- piece of single track, which takes you down through this other nice, really buff uh, place, got a little bit of rocks. I was like, how do you know all this? <laughs> he had raced it the year before, but he's like, oh, man. I was like, how do you know all this? And he's like, oh, I just got that kind of mind. Anyway, he set me up. He's like, just go up this climb. Just set a good pace. If you set a good pace and just keep on point. He's like, and he takes a nap. He's like, he might get start coming up on you, but you'll stay ahead of him. So took his advice, went up the climb. And this is where sleep deprivation really started coming into play. I'm going up the climb and I'm thinking to myself, okay, just keep a good pace. The good pace that you know, it was just a hiking pace, but all of a sudden I found myself like slowing down and then I would just wake up. I was sleeping, standing up. It happened like three or four times. Oh my God. And I was like, all right, I finally got to that single track he's talking about. And I remember running down the single track going, why are we running down this single track without taking the tools we need to fix the trail up? I was like, we need tools, we need rocks, we need to bring the rocks in to set them in place. But we're just like doing this and and we're not, we're not bringing any of the stuff we need. So yeah, stuff was coming into play for hallucinations for sure. Um, but I remember going through it, going down the single track. I remember hitting the road that he was talking about and I was like, all right, I'm on this road. So I'm like doing a good turn of speed. And I kept, I remember looking back up and I could finally see some headlamps and I didn't know if they were heading up the road or if they're heading down. And I just remember running down this road and all of a sudden I looked back and I saw a headlamp and I was like, that's gotta be like within a couple miles of me. I was like, oh no, he's coming. So I remember hitting this blacktop road and saying, I gotta just go. So I dumped all the water out of my handheld bottles I got rid of all the extra weight that I needed that I thought I didn't have. I kept, I kept my fluid, my fluid drink, my electrolytes, but I dumped all the excess water that I didn't need, even took some out of my pack thinking that I'm going to come up on the aid station in no time. Cause it's cold out too. And so I did a really fast turn on this blacktop road, shut my headlamp off and then looked back and I saw his headlamp up there and I'm like, I don't know if I put time on him or not, but I said, I'm just going to get around the corner, turn my headlamp back on and just go. So this next section, and then I looked at my Gaia app and I was like, wait a minute. It looks to me like for the distance I've gone and the distance I still have to go, I said, it looks like I still have like six miles. And that kind of played a trick on me too, because now all of a sudden I dumped all my water and I have to get to the next aid station and so I was just like seeing the bushes were all equipment, different pieces of equipment, like a horse and buggy. It was a lawnmower. It was a car. It was a bulldozer. Cause I'm in heavy construction, right? Heavy equipment. I'm seeing excavators. And then when I would get to the tree, it would be like, Oh no, it's just a tree. But the shadows were like playing tricks on me. And another couple of times, uh, in this section, I would fall, fall asleep standing up also. Oh my gosh. And it was, so you have no, you've dumped all your water, you're hallucinating, <laughs> and a 240 mile run has now become a race. Yeah. Now I know I can't, I can't stop and take a nap. No, that's out of no. the question. But now I'm running, turning it into like hiking, turning it into wait a minute. If my buddy Jeff Browning was here, what would he be doing? He would be running. Get your ass going, Jesse. So I would start running again. Every time I would slow down to a hike, 
It's like a flat road. Nope, get running. So I would start running again. Finally, I'd get to. I finally I get to the aid station, thinking that the course directors are playing some trick on me. That there is no aid station. That all the other racers are going around and they're taking a shortcut and they're coming in. They already got to the aid station and I never saw them pass. These are all the things that are going through my mind. So I get to the aid station. I ask the volunteers uh, if they have a tracker, if they if they know how far back second place is. And somebody says, "Yeah, it looks like he's about." you know, an hour behind you. And I'm like, Oh, great. So I take something to eat. And then somebody else comes up and they're like, Oh no, he's like, he's only like a mile back. I was like, what? <gasps> oh my God. So I, <laughs> I spit all the food out. I got my pack and I was like, I gotta go. So I took off. And this is the first time during the race. I looked at my phone and I had enough charge in my phone to turn data on. So I turned my phone on to see, and I, I went to the website and I turned my tracker on to see where he was. I said, I have to get to the, it was a mile and a half. They told me it was a mile and a half. till you get to the actual trail, the porcupine rim trail. You're going to, it's going to be off on the right hand side of the road. So I turned my data on while I was on the road and I said, I'm going to look to see where he is. I said, I have to get to that trail before he leaves the aid station. Cause that means I have a mile and a half gap on him. And at the pace we're going, that's gotta be like a good 10 minutes. So I turned my tracker on and when I hit the trail, and guess what? He left the aid station. I was like, shoot. I was like, now I gotta go. Yeah, so he's coming for you. He's coming he was for on me. The hunt. He, was, he was He was on the hunt. And at that point in time, <laughs> up to that aid station, I was just wanting to stay ahead of him, not really like racing, racing. But now I'm like, I have to go. Every little climb that I came to, every step up on the rock, I did with effort. I was breathing hard. I was pushing it on the downhills. I was pushing it on the uphills. Now my right, now my right Achilles started to bug me. So every time I would jump off a rock, I'm like, oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. So now I got two bad Achilles tendons that are going on. I turn as I'm looking at the tracker, I looked at it maybe four or five times, but you can't, you have to stop. You have to stop and like zoom it in and look back and like see the distance and then look at the ping to see how far back he was. So I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I was like, I just started going. So I put in a good effort knowing that if I just keep the pace that I'm going, I still have a little bit in the tank. If he catches me that I can, I can push on. Um, so I get to the most beautiful portion of the course, which is heading down porcupine rim toward the river. And I'm not able to enjoy it because I'm in race mode and I have to focus on the trail. And we get to the, I get, I can see now I can, I turn the corner the canyon and I can see the river and I can look up the up a ways and I can see that the road doesn't cross the river that takes you into town. So I'm like, son of a, I was like, I got to do this big long Canyon yet. And he's coming. I was like, I sure hope he's way back there. Wouldn't you know about 150 feet, 150 meters from this, the, the, the bike trail that goes along the river. And I, you know, you drop down, drop down out of the Canyon and hit the bike trail. That's the last three mile section to get in. There's like this little hourglass piece on the trail that kind of loops up and around and you kind of, the trail kind of comes within like maybe 20, 30 feet of each other, but you have to do this like little hourglass piece, which is maybe a hundred meters. Guess who comes around the corner? Jeff. <laughs> he comes around the corner. Our eyes make contact. <gasps> he looks at me. I look at him and he's like, Jesse. And I look at him I'm like, yep. And I just <laughs> bolted. I started going as hard as I could go. And knowing he has this little piece and I was like, it can't be more than a minute that he's behind me. It's like 30 seconds. I was like, shoot, 
200 and something miles into the race and he catches me. I was like, this can't happen. This can't happen. So I hit the bike trail and I just start going as hard as I can. Now I'm on blacktop and I saw a sign up on the road. It said three miles. That's how I knew I was three miles from town. And I'm like, I sure hope three miles means that's the end of the race course. And Jeff Browning was heading the other way on the canyon, driving up the canyon or into the canyon. And he leans out his window. He's like, he's like, you got this. He's like, he said, he's three tenths of a mile behind you. And I was like, three tenths of a mile in my mind. I'm like, that's nothing. I got to go. So I was running down this bike path. I don't know how fast I was going because I didn't have a, a, a watch, but I felt like I was doing six minute miles. That's what it looked like in, you know, as I'm going. Could have been, maybe it was 10 minutes. I don't know. All I know is going as hard as I could. Uh, Jeff came back the other direction and he's like, you got this. That's all he said out the window. And he took off to go to the finish line. And I saw a guy on a bike that was uh, biking opposite direction. He turned back around and like a minute later he came past me. He's like, there's nobody back there. I'm like, I don't believe you. I didn't tell him that, but I'm like, I don't believe you. I got to keep going. Spits flying out my nose. Like I'm not able to like catch, you know, I'm just going as hard as I can. And I get to the spot where I can see the road goes across and I get, it's a bridge underpass and I get underneath the underpass and that's maybe like maybe a quarter mile to the finish line. And Jeff's there and he's like, there's nobody back there. You got this. I was like, are you serious? There's nobody back there. Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> and he ran me, he ran me the next couple hundred meters in and, uh, there's some video of it. He's holding his coffee in one hand running. He's like, you got it. You got it. I was like, no way. So yeah, finally, finally I could breathe. It was like a five mile or I mean a 5k, a 5k race to the finish of the Moab 240 based on the fact oh that Jeff was coming. I didn't know how far back he was, but I didn't want to look either. I never looked back, never looked back. What was, um, what was the final like oh, gap? Sorry. <laughs> so like I finished, when you yeah, I finished and it ended up being five minutes. So either oh he said, oh, wow. yeah. Either he saw that I was had a faster pace because I know we were on that bike trail and I know he could probably see me. I didn't know how if he could if I I tried to see. I mean, I don't know if he could see me or not, but he probably knew that I was the pace I was running that he wasn't going to catch me. Maybe he backed off a little. I don't know. I didn't really get a chance to talk to him about it. Uh, maybe we talked oh about God. it, but I don't remember because I was out of my mind <laughs> oh my when God. I finished. Uh, so five minutes, yeah. Oh my God. What wow. an incredible uh, story. Maybe you were running six minute miles. <laughs> I, um, I did look back at the tracker pings and one of the uh -huh. pings, I don't know the distance between the two pings, but one of them said I was doing 10 miles an hour. So that's six minute mile. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just incredible, you know, to come full circle with this conversation. We started with talking about how amazing the body is and how, you know, it can it can put itself into a gear of healing and, you know, the gear that you found uh to finish that race is just it's just such an, a miraculous thing this body that we uh, we asked so much of and what 
you know, what we can do with, you know, with your mind saying like, I'm not giving up first place and, and what the body can do in those moments. I mean, it's just what a spectacular finish. I'm sure it's something that you don't want to relive because, oh my God, uh, you know, being chased like that so close at the end of a huge race, but man, what a great story. Like literally a great story. This whole podcast was your amazing story. Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> yeah. It sucked at the time to have to, to have to push that much and that hard at the end because you're just so taxed, but you're right. You, as you know, you're athletes. So yeah, the mind is crazy because I didn't feel one ounce of pain while I was doing that, that bike path. It was just go. Um, so at that, at that moment, like people are listening to this and I think, like you said, we're athletes and people who listen to this are athletes and we bump up against that moment where you just want to toss in a towel and you wanted to so many times, so many times, uh, but some sign or something wouldn't allow you to, how do you, how can you, and I don't even know if you have looked back and, and put that into perspective of bumping up against that moment of just wanting to, to fold and yet be able to run six minute miles towards the end. Like, does that give you evidence that, that, uh, I'll use the term anything is possible and all things are possible. If you just give yourself that opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say, I would say it's happened to me before I have dropped out of a number of races. Um, I have a, other, another story about Tahoe rim 200 or 100 mile that I told Kira, I was dropping out of that race 50 miles into it. And, you know, I was in fourth place at the time and she's like, you're in fourth place. Why are you going to drop? It's like, it's not about being in the placement. I don't care. I hurt so much. I have to drop. And it's, it's about, even if you think you have to drop, give your, give the opportunity to yourself to allow your body to tell you that you can't go. Now, if you're, if you're to the point where you're like, it's life-threatening, which a lot of the times I thought it was life-threatening, <laughs> but guess what? It wasn't. Um, give yourself the opportunity to let your body tell you that you have to stop. Like, leave that aid station. Leave that aid station and give yourself no other option but to keep going. And you'd be surprised, I surprised myself, you'd be surprised at what you're capable of doing. Your mind's telling you you got to stop for whatever reason, but it also is also telling you you can keep going. You just have to listen to that other little part of the brain that says, no, you can keep going. Just give yourself that opportunity to do it. What would you give your your mindset a grade on this this uh, Moab two forty? <laughs> I'm gonna get, I'm gonna go both ways. I'm gonna give it a zero from telling me I can drop, <laughs> but I'm also gonna give it a ten for like I don't know. Maybe it was my body that made me keep going and not my mind. Um, but yeah, the obviously there's times out there where it's like, no, I can't go, I can't go, and then you do. So I got I gave it a zero at times and I give it a ten at times. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think that uh, that sums up, you know, ultra running, right? It's oh, for just, sure, man. And and going longer and longer like that, I I haven't touched even the hundred mile distance, let alone two forty. But what an epic experience! Like, what an incredible uh, run that turned into a race. And you know, I believe that everything is like preparing us for what comes next. So, uh, we, we shall see, we'll keep following you and, and see how this, uh, life of running unfolds for you. It's just amazing to hear your story today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, uh, going up, putting it out there. Um, 
and reaching out to me because I don't do a very good job of doing that myself. <laughs> I don't ever like, I don't ever search out these types of, uh, avenues of, of, uh, I guess, interviews, stuff like that. So thank you for wanting to do it. Well, it's inspiring. And someone who is, uh, in their fifties as well, when you put out there, I was watching one of your things of trying to attempt to, to go after the record at Western States, possibly, um, for a uh, 50, uh, 50 plus age group. Um, it just, it's more of that needs to be shared. Cause that inspires myself, even though I'm, you know, I like to go after big things. Um, it's just, uh, again, permission that we got to go after these things. We got to, the seed is planted, got to keep the momentum going. And if we succeed or not succeed, it's, we got to give ourselves that chance. So thank you. Absolutely. I almost didn't even do Moab. I, I told like my wife was doing Kodiak and I, she's crewed me for every one of my races. So I felt almost obligated to help her at her hundred. And I was like, but I signed up already. And you know, I was like, I'm 50. I probably won't ever sign up again for it because so I just, I took the bull by the horns and said, all right, no crew. I'm going to go do it. And look what happened. Yes, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. It's just amazing. Well, we'll keep, uh, yeah, we'll keep following you. And, um, you know, we, this whole podcast is amazing about the 240. Maybe we'll have to have you back on so we can talk about, you know, a little bit more about you and your, and your background in running. But I'm sure that we're going to see some more amazing things from you. Um, doesn't sound like you're going to be stopping anytime soon. So again, thank you so much for the, the storytelling today. It was really awesome. And I hope somebody just plugs it in on their commute and they're just like, whoa, my whole commute to work is like this. <laughs> epic story epic. Wait, we're really like we were kind of like hanging on the words like oh my god well what's gonna happen uh, I love it like you tried to drop but there was something bigger that was like you're not dropping like you're not dropping the and you know Taylor's crew is not your crew <laughs> you're not dropping and in fact you're gonna win uh, only in trail running yeah. can you ask someone else's crew like oh yeah only in trail running yeah you could do any <laughs> yeah. kind enough to share they were yeah. all for it too <laughs> they're all yeah well, of course they were of course, of course. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, where can people follow you? Are you active on Instagram? Uh, I'm not very active. Uh, I did post about Moab. <laughs> I didn't post anything about Hard Rock. And I think the one be- the- I've posted about five times this year. So <laughs> you're not going to find a lot of content uh, from me. I just, I find it so hard to find the, find the time. If you, if, you, if, if that seems like it's a weird statement, it's just because it, because I don't do it very often, I, I'm not very fluid at it. So it takes me forever to do a post. So by the time I start to do it, I'm like, I'm over it. I can't find <laughs> pictures. I don't know how to attach them. Kira could help me, but I'm like, I got to do it on my own. And I got to say my own thing and you can't type it for me. So yeah, I don't post a lot, but uh, I do have an Instagram account. Um, it's I think it's Jesse M. Haynes. So it's my first name, my middle initial, and then my last name. Okay, perfect. So for those listeners that only want five posts a year from you, <laughs> they're going to get on over and give you a follow. Uh, <laughs> you can come see me at a race of sometime, just like you guys did. Uh, hope to see you yeah, guys too sometime. Yeah, go check out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, you know, even just in the research of this, I was like, I got to get, I, I really, I want to do Ray Miller, um, Sean O'Brien, all these beautiful races up like in that Malibu area. And I, I know she's got other races uh, around like in the Orange County area. But um, yeah, you'll be seeing us for sure. Uh, So I look forward to that in the future. 
Thank you guys so much.